Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Scary Mysteries, Twisted Twos, The West Mesa Murders, and Johnny Gosh. Tales of hauntings, murder, and scary mysteries. Every week, Twisted Twos dives into a pair of uniquely terrifying true stories that are worthy of a more in-depth look. For this week, we focus on a terrifying serial killer from New Mexico and the mysterious disappearance of a young boy. Get ready for Scary Mysteries, Twisted Twos. Number 1. The West Mesa Murders In February of 2009, a woman was walking around a mesa with her dog when she stumbled upon a human femur bone. She called the police, and that led to one of the most shocking discoveries in New Mexico's history. Various scattered bones were collected over a 92-acre plot of land. The bones belonged to 11 different women that ranged between the ages of 15 and 32. 
It took the police over a year to identify each one of them, ultimately uncovering the likelihood that a serial killer was on the loose. Sitting outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico, West Mesa was a desert region back in the early 2000s. It wasn't until 2006 when real estate developers began putting up housing there, but when the housing bubble burst in 2008, it caused many projects to halt unexpectedly overnight, sometimes even before anything could be built. Because of flooding in the area, a retaining wall was created that forced stormwater into a detention pond. This is what helped push the buried bones up to the ground surface. Authorities began piecing together victim identities and matching them to disappearances. It was discovered that nearly all the women were Hispanic, and most had a background in prostitution or drugs at some point in their lives. Every single one of them went missing at some point, between 2001 and 2005. One 15-year-old victim named Jamie Barella disappeared from home when she went to the park with her cousin Evelyn Salazar. She was 27 and was also identified as one of the victims. Another 15-year-old, Selenia Edwards, was a runaway and the only one with ties outside of the New Mexico area. What's interesting is that two years before the bodies were found, a local reporter actually uncovered that the lone detective manning the missing persons cases in the area already compiled the names of 16 missing women between 2001 and 2006, which was of course very high. Unfortunately, aside from a basic investigation, the list was nothing but a series of missing hookers, despite the fact it signaled the possibility of a serial killer. Eventually, nine of the women on that list were found to have been buried in West Mesa. Investigators think that the other seven missing women could be additional victims and that there is a possibility another gravesite is around that hasn't been discovered yet. Although there were several leads, nothing concrete ever came of it. There were suspects named and photos released hoping tips and leads would come in, but nothing ever pointed to a strong suspect. One suspect, however, was a man named Lorenzo Montoya, who was known to be violent and had an affinity for hiring prostitutes. During the time of the killings, he lived in a trailer just three miles away from the burial site. Lorenzo was one of the initial suspects for the West Mesa murders, but one evening he murdered a dancer named Sherrick Hill in his mobile home. In turn, he was also killed that same night in self-defense by Hill's boyfriend, who was waiting for her outside of the trailer. Even though he was a strong suspect, no solid evidence has ever been found that tied him directly to the case. Other theories have popped up, ranging from dirty cops, a roaming serial killer who has probably moved on to another state, and even drug gangs. The case is still open today, and the identity of the killer or killers remains unknown. Number 2. Johnny Gosh In September of 1982 in Iowa, 13-year-old Johnny Gosh went out on his morning paper route. Normally, he knocks on his father's door before heading out so he could accompany him, but on this particular morning, he decided not to. Instead, he took the family's dash hound. Multiple paper boys saw Johnny collecting his papers at the Des Moines Register. This would be one of the last times he would ever be seen. Shortly afterwards, with a red wagon filled with newspapers in tow, Along with his dog, 
Johnny was stopped by a man in a blue, two-tone Ford Fairmont who was asking for directions. A neighbor saw the interaction through his bedroom window, but he couldn't hear anything they were saying. Johnny was with another paper carrier, and he apparently told one of the older boys that he was going home, visibly unnerved at the encounter with the unknown man. Little did he know that a second man was already following him on foot. It's believed that the moment Johnny was out of sight from the boys, that man forced the boy into the vehicle and took him away. The other paper boy who was there said he lost sight of Johnny when he turned a corner to his home, but he distinctly heard a dog growling, a car door slammed shut, and then the screeching of tires. He then saw the same blue car beating a red light before speeding off towards the interstate. Despite all this, the police weren't immediately called. It wasn't until around 7 a.m. when disgruntled customers began phoning the goshes asking why their papers hadn't been delivered. By then, several hours had passed, but John Sr. immediately tried tracing Johnny's route, and when he turned a corner, he was shocked to discover his red wagon filled with undelivered papers, along with their dog. The authorities were called, and though the station was only two blocks away, it took them some time to actually get to the scene. At that time, law enforcement treated missing children like adults and waited for a 72-hour period before conducting an investigation, so it simply wasn't a priority. Johnny's mother, Noreen, was frustrated by this and decided to go out that morning interviewing various people who came in contact with Johnny or in the area. When police eventually turned up, there were no clues or leads to go by, and the case quickly went cold. Two years after, another boy was also taken from Des Moines in a similar way. This time, it was 13-year-old Eugene Martin, who was also on his paper route early in the morning. As with Johnny, this time Eugene went alone instead of leaving with his brother. Even though hope sparked there would be leads connected with Johnny's case, nothing was found and Eugene remains missing to this day. Over the years, Noreen has claimed that there's something bigger than an ordinary kidnapping in this case. After being unsatisfied with the police work, the Goshes hired private investigators and became vocal in advocacy work against child kidnapping and pedophilia. There were certain sparks of interest that revived the case during various times. For instance, in September of 1982, months after the abduction, a woman in a grocery store reported having a boy come up to her saying he was Johnny Gosh and asking for help. But before she could react, the boy was dragged away by two men. Then in 1985, a dollar bill was handed to a clerk in a store. In it were the words, I am alive, with Johnny Gosh's name above it. Noreen identified it as Johnny's handwriting, and experts also agreed it was most likely his. Then, in 1989, a felon named Paul Bonacci came forward and said he was one of the kidnappers and that he was held captive together with Johnny and forced to be part of a sex ring that involves wealthy individuals and political officials. The FBI and the police did not believe him to be a credible witness and never even interviewed him, but the Gosh family believed he was telling the truth. Then in 2009, when asked by a judge if she had seen Johnny since his disappearance, Noreen claimed she had. She said that in the early morning of 1996, he came home and hung around for about an hour, 
telling her about what had happened to him and how he was involved in a sex ring and had been a sex slave for years. He managed to get out but was on the run and not fully safe, so he made sure to tell his mom not to tell anyone of his visit. Since then, she has never seen or heard from him again. At this point, many people are skeptical and dismiss Noreen's claims about seeing her son and doubt that there's a pedophile ring. After all, this is one grieving mother claiming there's an underworld of sex crimes with mainly high-profiled people involved. In the end, the case of Johnny Gosh still has no concrete answers. No leads or suspects in his disappearance have appeared, and so today, it continues to remain a mystery. So these were two of the most frightening and scary stories around. The world can be a crazy place, and Twisted Twos is sure to show you why. If you like this video, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. We have many new videos every week that we know you'll enjoy. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you next week.